Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm so happy you're joining us today because I'm here with Russell K. I'm actually a little nervous, to be honest. <laughs> it's going to be so much fun because our guest today is Dominique Crigliano. The legend, man. I know. <laughs> and I met Dom on my first trip to Mysore in 2004. He was there. And hi, Dom. How are you? How are you doing, Harmony? I'm doing great. Oh, I'm so excited you're here with us. I can't wait to hear all of your amazing stories. This could be too much excitement for me. I've been just stuck in a house for a while here. (laughs) Where where are you today? Where are you calling from? I'm in Northern Cal. I'm uh, just south of Trinidad, about six miles from the ocean. Oh, wow. And uh, we have a small piece of property here that has a field and woods. And I'm in upstairs above the garage in my nice little spot here, looking out on the field. Nice. Fantastic. How did you come to be there of all places? This is um, Stephanie's kind of birthplace. Uh, The grandparents live five minutes away from us through a little uh, trail in the woods. And um, she grew up here. So she's a Humboldt girl. Yeah, Humboldt County. Do you guys have a yeah. um, a farm in quotation marks? We, um, you know, the field out here um, was, this place was originally owned by a guy or started by a guy who was a professor at HSU of mammalian biology and wow. a famous man named Tim Lawler. Mm-hmm. And uh, he kept Texas longhorn cattle out here on the 11 acres of field. Oh. Wow. And now we keep sheep. They're not our own or our neighbors that um, she brings down here every day with her dog and a staff. She's like two neighbors over. So it's a small community. I'm very lucky to be here. I'm a lucky guy. I wanted to to ask you, um, I read an interview with you by Deborah Crooks in Ashtanga.com. And it said that you spent a lot of time uh, in New Orleans, and you spent a lot of time uh, psych- uh, motorcycling out, biking out to New Orleans. And I just wanted to ask if, are you from there originally? I'm not. Um, I know Melanie Fowler. Oh. She's a buddy of mine. Yeah, yeah. And Another she comes legend. out and visits us in California. Um, mm-hmm. She hadn't at that time. But um, she did some great things for me when I was in India, like brought me my camera that I could film Guruji with and uh, brought Stephanie and I our wedding rings that had to be made in the United Mm. States here. And so uh, we've known her a while. And she has a son who's the same age as our son, John, the older one. That's right. That You guys, you and Louise Ellis and Melanie all got certified at the same time. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, I'd heard that. Wow. Well, I actually, um, I think I met you uh, maybe soon after that happened. I think it was, it was 2000, 2001. And uh, you and I were in a subway station in New York. I remember that. And we both had yoga mats on our arms and we were kind of maybe eyeing each other from afar. <laughs> 
Like who's this cat at five o'clock, four thirty in the morning? You know, is this before everybody had yoga mats under their arms? Or? That's right. It was like, mm, that's curious that that guy has a yoga mat. That's suspicious for sure. <laughs> and I, I remember like we were we stood there for like maybe was it forty five minutes waiting for a train? Possible. Yeah. Right. And then you like you got you just like said. I don't, I don't know what you said in your mind, but you walked over to me and said, the train's not coming. You're here for Guruji? And I said, yeah, I said, let's, <laughs> let's get out of here. And then we hopped in, we were like, we're getting a cab. We hopped in a cab and I was, I kept this very to myself, but I was mortified because I did not have money for a cab. Like there was <laughs> no way I was gonna be able to come up with $10 <laughs> for a cab. <laughs> And then we we went to uh, went to Guruji's at the Puck Building. Yep. I remember um, it was cool. It was like you really like gave me the talk too, which was what, cool. Do you was it because you, you didn't have the ten dollars for the cab, and I wanted five <laughs> afterwards? Or <laughs> <laughs> no, you're gonna you were gonna get your pound of flesh out of me. I mean, yeah. <laughs> do you do you remember what you said to me though? Um, well, you know. Um, not really. I didn't remember that. Okay. What did I say to you? You said, um, so this, is this your first class with, with Sri K. Patabi Joyce? And I said, yeah, it was. And, and you said, well, then this is your first class of Ashtanga yoga. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> and I like, I had been practicing for about 10 years and I was like, whoa, that's Okay. <laughs> Did you take offense? <laughs> I did a little, you know, but it's like, it's not my place to take offense. My place is to shut up and listen, you know, and learn. <laughs> no, and, I mean, come on, you're a human being. <laughs> I know, but it was like, wow, this is really heavy. And I, and I. Who is this I, jerk anyway? Who so. is this guy? Who <laughs> is this guy? Oh my God. Uh, uh-huh. and well, I like, you know, I'm kind of, a, I'm an outspoken guy. So I, I rub people the wrong way quite often. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to I used to tell that story a lot because I thought it was really cool, and I would always like tell it like, "Man, you really rubbed me the wrong way." You know, Dom's, <laughs> Dom's such a great guy, you know. But he like really, it was a great first impression. But I I want to ask you, can you can you say why you would have said that to me? Sure. And I mean, and is it can it still be true? It's true. I mean, in a way, and 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 that is, you know, oftentimes when we communi- communicate, we're we're coming from such different places in our lives, who we are, and then suddenly we're together in a cab, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, perhaps you know. So it's it's like uh, I had, you know, you you just said that we all got certified at the same time. That was 19 years of practice with Patabi Joyce before I got certified. Mm-hmm. I, I never even thought that that was possible. And yeah. he expressed a wish to do that at some point. And, and so I had so much respect for him. Um, his faith in the practice. And he was the creator of Ashtanga yoga, of this Ashtanga yoga that we do, you know, the physical form. So his cues, I was so familiar with them and I knew 
other people too, and that we all come from different places. We all have different backgrounds. How we deliver is different. How we understand the same things may be different. So he was a distinctive uh, man and he was the driving force of Ashtanga Yoga as we know it. Mm -hmm. There's nobody like Patabi Joyce. There won't be anyone like Patabi Joyce. And he's such a powerful guy that all these podcasts that you do, all us people are a reflection of that man. Mm -hmm. um, we are here because of him on your podcasts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, he was an incredibly important individual and I took film of him early and people would always ask me, why are you filming him? Mm -hmm. I said, because he's really important and there's this important social movement happening around him also. And I want to record some of it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, eventually a lot of people wanted to record him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah you have a lot of amazing um, video footage i remember you'd record a lot of conferences and and classes and different things going on i have two full interviews with patabi joyce that are hours in length at his old home and at his new home wow. where the interviewers are his banker and it's all in canada Wow. And then the other Google one is translate. Sunad, the journalist. Oh. And it was shot by a man who now does massage in Scotland, but was the one of the camera assistants on train spotting. Oh, that's why he's in Scotland. Amazing. Yeah. He grew up in Findhorn. I can't remember his name, but um, at, at this moment but he's such a great guy. And I bumped into him in Mysore and I said, oh, you need to use this camera. I'll just hold the mic. Because <laughs> 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 he showed me some pictures that he had taken and they were incredible. So yeah, he did quite a good job. You know, um, camera great. in his hands was a lot different than in mine. So, so anyway, yeah, that's, you know, it was, Guruji was distinctive. You, you, I can, you know that. Yeah. You can listen to a recording of him. Everybody emulates him. Mm -hmm. um, I was listening to your podcast with um, Beryl, who's a friend of mine. Yeah. And she was talking about how Norman is like, you take and all that, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Guruji speak. All these people were walking around doing Guruji speak. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Still to I, this day, I think. I, yes. I did the same thing. When I, it, I, when I was teaching in Taiwan, I learned how to teach Ashtanga Yoga in Mandarin, Chinese. Wow. But I did it with the Guruji style, where I would <laughs> say exactly the same, same thing, you know. And That's great. I'd like to hear that. So Wong Sam. So Wong Sam. So Wong Sam. Which means hands up, hands down, yeah. Uh, uh, and, and I would just like, and I would just do the same. I would shout short sentences in Chinese, and I knew I sounded like this is how this is how Guruji would have done it if he had learned Chinese. You know? uh, yeah, <laughs> Guruji had such a powerful voice. We were he was teaching at um, the Sheraton in New York, and I was traveling with him and filming him, two thousand and two. 
um, Joseph and I stayed in the suite. Mm -hmm. Guruji stayed in some beautiful apartment somewhere, but this special suite at the Sheraton, Joseph and I was sharing. And um, everybody was there, you know, yeah. just all the yoga luminaries were there. <laughs> yeah. did a demo there. Right, that demo that was recorded and that used, was there used to be a video. Incredible. Yeah. Um, the things that people don't know about that demo and how that was, you know, most yoga teachers are going to do a demo. They know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Guruji was not telling Sharat what he would be doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sharat had some ideas, but he didn't know where Guruji was going to bring him. And Guruji could bring you to some pretty wild places. Yeah. So Sharat was nervous. Mm -hmm. and uh, well you know and this is grandson <laughs> yeah <laughs> and the, you know it's not like the rest of the yoga world this was not like the rest of the yoga world but anyway yeah. guruji there had classes of like 300 people in a big ballroom with chandeliers and everything else it's, it's really wild mm -hmm. and he didn't need a mic yeah no yeah. mic yeah and you know, when he said one and bad man or bad lady, that everybody heard it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. a bellowing voice. And I, I, I tried to teach that way. I, and just like, I, I, try to, I tried to learn how to emulate that, that command and yeah. have absolute obedience. <laughs> and I would, I would not <laughs> allow any doing the same thing at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I would not allow any. Have a big problem with that in China? No, they didn't. They they loved it in China. Yeah. They were all for it, and my classes got more and more popular every day. The Japanese are like that too. They they're just incredibly um, attuned to each other, and a class moving right. at the same time is you know it's something that's like kind of societal in nature. Mm -hmm. That's right. And I feel like it's like a, like it's really about ragadvesha, like aversion or craving. And mm -hmm. so one culture might, might go towards moving together. Right. And another culture like, like Brighton and England would- <laughs> The US. <laughs> or the US are, are, are totally, it's totally abhorrent to go with, the, with everyone else. They want to be, Unique. We want to be a little different, just slightly. Yeah, which is what got you a bad man or a bad lady. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, was, uh, you know, I was have one um, memory. I think it must have been, I'm not sure if it was, two, I don't think it was 2004. I think it was later on, maybe 2006 or something. And um, I was practicing in the lead intermediate series class with you dom and i i don't know if you remember this you maybe you do guruji was in such a uh mood that day or i don't know he was really like strong and like really like picking on people and like <laughs> yelling at them and he really picked on you so oh, much yeah. <laughs> yeah he kept yelling at you dominique no no lift up lift up and he like pointed out some other like, person yeah, david miliotis that. he pointed david miliotis out to show me how to lift oh, <laughs> yes yes know. right and so here's this like kid to you 
and he's saying do it like like david right right exactly (laughs) yeah so you remember and oh my god gurd you love to pick on me (laughs) yeah but it was the first time you know, you actually, at, at one point you looked at him and you said, Guruji, enough. Okay, enough. <laughs> and I'd never heard anyone like talk back, talk to, back Guruji. to Guruji. And you just wow. like, you'd reached your point and you just looked at him, you said, Guruji, enough. And then he left you alone for the rest of the class. He knew That's- like, all right, all right. I made my point. <laughs> or so something. it's funny you're mentioning that. I'm going to give you the, I guess, the addendum to that. Yeah. So I please. walk into his office at the end of that class and Sharat's in there too. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing there and Gurji's kind of looking at me laughing a little bit. Yeah. And Sharat said, why did you do that? <laughs> to, to you or to, to Gurji? Dominic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Gurji just laughed and he said, oh, oh old student. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like I, I can, kind of you a, know, yeah, he's you're not 20, going anywhere. If you're, but if you're 20 years old today, or even 30 years old today, and you're a student of, of Sharat, are you, are you doing Ashtanga yoga? If you haven't been with Vatapi Joyce? Or is that too much to well, say? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, now you have your choice of who to do Ashtanga yoga with. I mean, you always <laughs> did. Yeah. Um, people would tell me they were upset with Guruji. They'd be in Mysore and I'd say, well, you can study with Shara. You can study with Saraswati. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can understand you being upset with Guruji. He's not a perfect guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, I never came to yoga looking for uh, a saint or a spiritual leader. I was an abused child, and I would judge people by what they did, not what they said. Because mm. from a very early age, my survival depended on it. Mm-hmm. You grew up in, in New York, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I, I heard that. I loved Guruji, and I was a realist about him also. And I'm sure there were other people like me. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you had a, a tough dad? My dad was loving and he was, but he had, yeah, he had a tough life. He was, he came over in the United States when he was 11. Um, he was short. He couldn't speak English and Italians were getting beat up at the time. Mm-hmm. So that's 1930 something. I guess he was born in 25. Wow. And then later he became, so he became a boxer to mm. defend himself because, so he was five foot four. Yeah, that's pretty uh, small. Yeah. And he was a master at these uppercuts. He could just get into someone's chest under their chin and he right. was a tough guy. <laughs> like Mike Tyson. That was Mike Tyson's yeah. thing. Is he would, oh, yeah. because he was short, he could get the uppercut. Get and underneath just, you and destroy and then you're you. Gone. Yeah. <laughs> And so, um, you know, there were all sorts of things. It was, it was a hard life. My mom, they met my mom and dad in World War II. She mm-hmm. was a refugee running away from the war. She had been already, they tried to send her to a concentration camp because they found her with a radio. Oh. Her brother went to the concentration camp and, and was crippled. 
oh, dear. Like experiments or whatever. Yeah. And she like escaped from a train, but you know. Wow. Um, was, was she crazy. also Italian? She would tell me different stories as she'd recover them. Mm -hmm. Often survivors are like that. And my dad joined the army early. He was in the 101st Airborne. He fought at the Battle of the Bulge. So he, they both saw real combat. So they were fractured and PTSD. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and then uh, my brunt dad was very old fashioned. And she was my, they got married. They could hardly speak to each other. She's French. He's Italian. Okay. Yeah. What brought them together, do you think? Um, my mom says that she was um, about, I don't know, maybe 16 at this point or something like that. And the Americans were starting to occupy more. And she was with a girlfriend. Um, and I think she had her period or something like that. And they were trying to like get her home and, but her dress was stained. So she sat mm -hmm. down to try to let the troops pass. Right. And my dad showed up with a Jeep. Oh. And offered them a ride and they were afraid, but you know, he brought them to, um, it wasn't really home because my mom was put in an orphanage when she was three. Hmm. So they brought her to, he brought her to shelter. Yeah. And eventually he brought her back to her mother who had given her up when she was three. Wow. Yeah, my mom was really serious about another guy who was missing in North Africa. So, huh. um, yeah, so, you know, war fractured and a, a lot of people who haven't really been through war don't know how complicated and how fracturing it can be. Mm -hmm. But um, I think, I think Richard in his interview mentioned that he grew up in a community of people like that. I did also people missing fingers and ears, <laughs> you know, yeah. people have been tortured. And, um, That's yeah. right. I was, you know, I, I grew up in Long Island, the North shore of Long Island. Mm -hmm. So there were Russians across the street from me and Italians and um, God, you know, huge neighborhoods of people, a lot of like, uh, Syosset was a very Jewish neighborhood. Um, mm -hmm. my, my grandfather um, spent two years in Italy. He he talked he talked to me about it a lot. Um, he didn't talk to, about it at all to his kids, but the grandkids, like like it took 20, 30 years before he could talk about it. And so we heard all the the stories, <laughs> and about you know he's you know he slept in a in a in a foxhole and a, a ditch in the ground for two years. And he said he walked the length of Italy seven times because he had to zigzag it. And the kind of horrors he was subjected to fascinated us. Um, me and my cousins were all boys. You know, they would just like, for, for fun, they would take a live grenade and throw it back and forth to each other uh, oh, yeah. like a hot <laughs> potato because who cares? <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody had to throw it in 10 seconds, you know, and that was the fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> well, I'm sure there are children growing up like this even now. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's the... 
he, he also said the the Italian kids were that they rescue they would rescue a lot of Italian kids and um, they were nuts. They couldn't keep prisoners anymore because the Italian kids would kill them in the night. <laughs> oh <my God>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, take revenge. It's like, yeah, my mom didn't have good feelings about Germans forever. Mm -hmm. Right. She saw, you know, relatives get shot and things like that. So. Mm -hmm. So you're gro you're growing up in Long Island um, in the 50s and 60s. Yep. And uh, um, you're you're having a tough time. Your parents were who are hard, um, harder than, than a lot me. of Americans. I was her only son. My dad was working all the time. He worked mm -hmm. road construction and landscaping. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I worked landscaping with him from an early age. Uh, I started working when I was, I don't know, six or 10. <laughs> yeah. I would make some money, you know, I'd pull weeds or something. Yeah. yeah. And then later on, it was uh, caddying at a very exclusive golf, golf course called the Creek Club. Wow. Um, amazing place. I was once one of the caddies for the Duke of Windsor's um, foursome. Incredible. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Um, I hope he was grandpa. a good tipper. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a Quaker, there's a museum, uh, not a museum, a cemetery there with um, graves, Quaker graves from the 1600s on Long Island. Wow. Um, did but did you find yourself rebelling in any way towards your folks? Yeah, you know, I knew I was going to take a different course than they were taking. They were kind of they were fractured and. But I thought it was normal at first, of course, mm -hmm. until, you know, I got a little older and I'd have to, uh, I'd have to kind of make sure my, they, my dad wouldn't beat up my mom. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, things got really intense. So I, um, quite frankly, slept with my pellet gun under my bed, thinking I might be able to use that to Right. stop them stupid things would happen like she would have scissors to defend herself and mm -hmm. he would try to do something to her and i would try to get in between and i'd end up getting cut right yeah um you know crazy yeah. stuff so i couldn't wait to leave <laughs> yeah. when i was 17 i stuck my thumb out i had read like kerouac and um i read a book by Bradford Angiers called at home in the woods about mm. homesteading in the Peace River in Canada. Yeah. I just I, I had dreams about what I wanted to do. Um, yet I had this Italian European upbringing. Mm -hmm. My Italian relatives were in the United States. The French I didn't know. They were all in France. What were left, you know, mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, yeah, so I was dying to leave. <laughs> so where did you go at 17? You hitchhiked somewhere. I stuck my thumb out. I went down to Florida. Um, wow. The Almond Brothers had a um, traveling man out. It was big time. And yeah. I, they were going to do a concert down there. I went to Fort Lauderdale. Um, and then I went cross country. I hitched across the south to get to Colorado. That oh. was 1971 or 72. That's fantastic. You know, I, yeah. 
I had also dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) I had I had realized it. Yeah. I think I think 71, I think Altamont hadn't had just happened and people hadn't quite realized just how how dangerous it was out there in those in those red states. Uh, I wonder I also I had read a lot of Kerouac, and uh, I had I longed for a beat experience, like the kind of experience that my parents had had in the '60s, or that my, my you know my dad was a you know driven a Harley across Europe for five years, and and I longed to have that those kind of real experiences, and I even like I went out and I got a job at an Italian restaurant just washing dishes for for food they would give me food and about 20 bucks at the end of the night and i was like this is the this is like really i'm finally living i'm finally alive (laughs) and i and it's so your story is you know if i had to be like sacrificed in some way in terms of like some measure of fame i have or uh whatever with the community so what i'd Mm -hmm. still want women to move forward I, I would still want all this to happen. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong that I view with this issue finally coming up. It's a healthy thing in society. Mm-hmm. It, it's like a hurrah moment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, totally. it's not a moment to be sad. You know, mm-hmm. um, if anything, I'm a little mad at Patabi Joyce for not being able to control himself. Mm-hmm. you know well, why did he have to go there mm-hmm. but also i get to the point now where i'm i do this with my parents too um and i'm going i i did that switch last time when i was asking answering this question but i have to where i had to take the things that were good about them and go on and yeah. throw away the bad stuff yeah um not that doesn't mean deny it Right. Yeah. It just means I'm not going to do it in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. I feel like I'm going to try not to abuse my kid in the same way that I was abused, even though I can I can see myself operating in the same pattern. It's a slippery slope, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It is. When you've been abused, it's your reflexive pattern. Yeah. Um maybe lucky enough for me, I was the victim as opposed to, uh, I don't think I was sexually abused. I don't recall any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I was, some of the most horrible things I saw were children doing things to each other in mm-hmm. the 1960s. Yeah. I saw some horrible things and I'm not going to like relate stories to you because but they still make me uncomfortable. And I realize yeah. how vulnerable I was in those moments. I was mm-hmm. like shamed and I thought, I thought it was going to be next or I was going to be next mm-hmm. Yeah, for some horrible stuff from like some kids that were a little older than me or yeah, you know, yeah. being bullied or whatever. Um, who would wish that on somebody else if you had experienced it yourself? or deny that it happened to someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no denying that. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone relates that to me. Yeah. And I've but, got to acknowledge it. And so it, now I've heard it. 
and mm-hmm. I fully acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you still love your parents. I still love my dad, you know, even after after everything. After you know, I still love my mom, even though she did tons of cocaine when I was, you know, when she was pregnant with me, or when I was, you know, breastfeeding. You know, you still love them, and mm-hmm. it's the same way with Patabi Joyce. Like it's very, it's a very um, precarious position to be in to love somebody and also to hold this memory or to hold this Yeah, if thought. your tormentor is your savior. Yeah. <laughs> that can bring up some just stuff that's hard to reconcile. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, you know, you must to go on if you choose to go on. Mm-hmm. Um. We don't have to. And if you have children and you care about what you're giving to them, or if you care about what you're giving to your students, yeah, you don't Mm -hmm. have to go on. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, there's going to be some ripple in the world. It's just, oh, it's hard stuff to deal with for everybody. I think Yeah, it really is. It's um, and so in some ways, I'm mad at him in retrospect, um, but you know, how do you know people? I mean, I was I was writing stuff about this a little bit. He feels that way that you f- that it, that our hands are like these enormous antenna, and they feel so much on a person, and almost they, sometimes it's it's. Don't you think it's it's too much at times? Like too much information about. Oh yeah, somebody. it can be. Uh huh. Mm. Yeah, that's that kind of autism sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you uh, autistics may take in too much. Yeah. You know, that can be like, um, that's also the LSD experience, isn't it? Suddenly all your <laughs> normal ways of encountering the world are blown open and you're receiving on all senses. Mm. equally instead of being just your primary sense if you're a musician your sound if you're most of us are so well trained to see things mm-hmm. in this society but then there's the kinesthetic too some individuals have been through things i'm not the only person who's been through things yeah. <laughs> and so um i guess what yoga helped me realize and, and studying more about human beings um, from Western authors or from people like Gregory Bateson and um, Milton Erickson and folks like that, Virginia mm-hmm. Satir, is who human beings are and how we work. And mm-hmm. I needed that as a teacher. Yeah. And, but I had the touch. Um, you know who's got that in my family is Matt also. My oh, son. yeah. I've heard, I've heard a quote. My friend um, in New York, Matt was substituting for Eddie for a couple weeks. And, oh, gosh, what's her name? With the, the cr- black curly hair, little, little tiny thing. Stacy. Stacy Platt. Uh-huh. She said to me, when when Matt would do my back bends, it was like my hair was flowing in the wind. 
Uh, that's great. I can see her hair flowing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he's, he has a he has a really uh, good reputation as a teacher. Well, he's a big guy. He's like six foot two. You know, he can really yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can leverage himself well. And he's like battling waves to get right now. He's on the North Shore and the pipeline, like surfing and taking pictures of other surfers. Amazing. Fantastic. I practiced next to Matt for six months, one year. We just every day, just next to each other. It's good. I, I think it, it really is a thing though. Like um, if, you know, if you know of somebody with good hands, like that's somebody that you wanna, you would go search out. Like with, it's almost like um, we don't talk about it very much. No one talks about it in a teacher training. But if you, if you know of an Ashtanga yoga teacher with, with, oh, they have good hands, it's almost like a secret language. <laughs> you know, it's code. It's like, yeah, that's, that's someone you go practice with. Yeah. It's true. I mean, um, you know, when it comes right down to it, there's, um, that's, Patabi Joyce was a lot like that. I'm, I'm not saying that he had good hands because his stuff could be really forceful. <laughs> We've heard all about that. Yeah. And, and we've heard all about, and I don't want this to sound the wrong way, him being loving. Yeah. <laughs> little too handsy. But, he was, but he was you know, handsy. Gurji also yeah. could really be loving. So yeah. like, you know, he, I don't know. I look at those pictures that they say are abuse. Sometimes that's his belly on you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He used to just use his belly in, you know, that's, he had a big belly. <laughs> He'd yeah. use that in forward bend. I'm not saying that Patabi Joyce didn't. Um, overstep. Overstep at times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting. You know, he had a very, um, I think dual personality in a sense in that there was something about him that was so loving and really for me in, in his presence, I always just was like awashed with affection. Yeah, me too. And felt such warmth. Um, but he was also quite strong and forceful. Yeah, that came that, in. That, and, and a little bit, that was a little bit frightening, you know, at times. <laughs> I, I disagree. It was I disagree. worse when he was younger. Yeah. Sure. I, I disagreed that it was that was frightening. Um, for whatever re, for whatever trauma background I have, it was very nurturing for me. It was like very comforting. It was like, oh yeah, I, I know. And my mom would fly off the fucking handle. This is just how it sounded. And yeah. I remember one time I was in Badakanasana and he went over and he stepped on me. And I needed this and I knew I was stressed out and I knew my, my hip flexors were tight and I was really, I, and he just bellowed out to me, relax. And I was like, oh, it was awesome. And I was like, it, it was a kind of Zen Cohen that, that, that breaks your mind and you do relax because you're too hot oh, to do relax. anything else. Some people yeah. have joints out of place <laughs> yeah. depending on depending on what worked for you yeah <laughs> yeah some people broke their their uh, but, pelvis you know, right in two that's right i was more concerned as a teacher with reaching everyone than patabi joyce was yeah mm -hmm. 
You know, so people sometimes ask me like, what's the difference between Patabi Joyce and Sharat? And I say, well, you know, Patabi Joyce invented this practice and he just kind of changed it as he pleased. Yeah. Um, according to what he saw in his students, he adapted it and changed it somewhat. You'd ask him and he'd say, no, it's never changed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he did. You know, I'm not even going to do the Guruji imitation. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can watch film to get that. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody does it like Guruji anyway. That's Although right. it's highly amusing when someone like David does it or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, he was so forceful when he was young it was so intense that sometimes you know it was like someone jumping on you in in kashyabasana and oh. just you know surrender like he yeah. wanted that knee and that foot to touch the ground and your yeah. foot to be back and that's why he'd just get on you yeah, yeah. jesus climb right on you yeah what what was your first meeting with Patabi Joyce? What brought you to yoga? Did you practice yoga before this or did you? My first yoga teacher was Richard Hittleman. Wow. Really? In person? No. Oh, okay. TV. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And like... I was young, you know, it was the 1960s. I'm a TV child. And yeah. there, you know, Richard, have you ever seen those old pictures of his class? Of course or even seen a video. So yeah. you know, there's one lady with dark hair. She's beautiful. She's long, straight hair and a lady with blonde hair, long, straight hair. And uh, I'm a little boy that's like 13, 12 years old. So mm. you know what I was watching on TV. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right there with you. You brother. and Russell both. That's how you both <laughs> fell in love with yoga. That's right. Well, that, I fell in love with yoga. So, you know, I would do things like get into full lotus and walk around the house on my knees oh yeah wow i so do had the dishes it. and tree the hips pose. were there for you what was that russell the I'm hips sorry. were the hips were there for you right away um yeah we yeah, used to do that as kids have races like that wow <laughs> you know you're lucky when you're a kid oh, yeah cool. right <laughs> So you'd practice around the house. You'd do different things. I do different things. And my mom would say, like, she'd see me doing the dishes and I'd be in tree pose doing the dishes. And she'd say, oh, he's doing his yoga. Because my mom had this funny French accent. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's doing this yoga. <laughs> and um, she was amused by what I did. And then, um, yeah, later on, my dad was amused when I was doing second series in his little house. And, he saw me with my foot behind my head. He's coming up the stairs. He's like, yeah, yeah, you keep doing that. Yeah. <laughs> that must have been much later <laughs> on. <laughs> I, yeah, I was surprised he didn't say, you know, you're a effing a-hole or something like yeah. that. Right. Doing that, you know? <laughs> um, can I, I, can I ask you, because I have this, I, I've, I've heard this thing that you were a computer engineer in Encinitas and then someone dragged you into Guruji's lead class and that's how you met him. Is that accurate? Okay, so um, my wife at the time, Lucy, who you know, Harmony. Yeah, yeah she was um, one of my first real true Ashtanga teachers. She's great. Yeah. And uh, we were some of the few people in yoga who had children 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm still struggling to understand how you went from doing construction work on the road, hitching, to being a computer engineer. I always like to take things apart and put them together. And in the 1970s, when it looked like I was going to have a child in 76, I attended Larimer County Votech on the CETA program, which was you get paid instead of going, just getting unemployment. Nice. Right. So I got laid off from a construction job and I decided I'm going to learn how to fix radios and TVs. Nice. So I went to Harry Matsunaka's class in Larimer County in 1976. Mm-hmm. And he ended up teaching me some things about computers too. Mm-hmm. And then Lucy's mom was dying of leukemia and we had to go back to New York when my oldest child, Shanae, who's 44 today. Wow. Um, Happy birthday. Yeah. No, not, no, it's not, not actually her birthday. I'm <laughs> just in present time. She's born on Halloween. But thanks anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, yeah. um, uh, We went back to New York and I got a job at Fairchild Republic. And I I ended up getting a really great job. Um, It was working on the floor um, in manufacture of um, weapons for the United States of wow. America. Oh my <laughs> so yeah, good. I ended up having to get a, a secret clearance and all that. And uh, I worked with something called direct numerical control or computer numerical control, mm-hmm. which is when you have a machine tool that's building a part for the aircraft industry or whatever, say a motorcycle, um, it's directed by a computer. Mm-hmm and the part program information is created on a computer. So these were the first, the dawning of automated factory and robotics Wow! in that setting. And I ended up getting a job there. Um, I was lucky. Yeah. Radios and TVs didn't need repair after a while. Yeah, that's right. right. (laughs) You couldn't just change the light bulb inside of it anymore. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> it wasn't tubes it started changing right mm-hmm. it started mm-hmm. changing to solid state everything was changing rapidly as it as it continues to excuse that oh that's fantastic can, can you keep that going <laughs> through the through the rest <laughs> so, so i got lucky and then later on i worked with general dynamics on the west coast that's how we got to go to california and settle in encinitas oh nice that's amazing did they place you there or did you choose to go there i actually chose to go there they wanted me to move to troy michigan and be a manager there uh-huh <laughs> yeah and i wanted to continue to be a field engineer hardware software which is what i started out being with that company vega mm-hmm. servo control they were oh. based in troy michigan yeah so we packed up the volvo and went across to where spring lived in encinitas wow and um, I know I heard Kiki's history of Ashtanga yoga. It sounded like it just happened in New York and LA from what you were saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but really, well, Encinitas was really, the birthplace. Those really. of us who were not trying to publish books <laughs> or make films were just doing <laughs> yoga in Encinitas. 
<laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's not a dig. That's just reality. I was offered a yeah. job in LA, but I, you know, buy yoga works. Yeah. Know, early on, but I wasn't going to leave Encinitas. There were two stoplights there. That's, yeah. You know, Manju was there for a reason. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's, it's so gorgeous. It's beautiful. Put David Swenson came there for a reason. Mm-hmm. you know all That's these true. people and so we had this little yoga church right it was a former church mm-hmm. and um we would practice there and that's the first place i saw patabi joyce what was and that like that was my first class in ashtanga i took with patabi joyce it was amazing um i saw right away that there was something incredible about him but i more importantly felt different right away i had i had been a sickly child and had a lot of medical care when i was younger and asthma issues and things like that i had already become a vegetarian and it had caused great changes in my body when i when i was young i went to mexico and you couldn't eat meat down there so we were just you know i was a fish eating vegetarian down there. Mm-hmm. Um, so after a week of doing Ashtanga, I felt like um, I had, my eyes were sore. <laughs> my knees were sore. I felt like I had a fever constantly walking around. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is this doing to me? But I also knew that when I quit certain foods or cleansed myself in certain ways, I'd have similar reactions. So I said, this must be good for me. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I'm sticking with it. I mean, you were getting stomped on as well. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was, this, what year is this? 70? It's the early 80s. Early 80s. And he was himself uh, in his mid 60s, Pitabi Choice? Yeah. He was forceful. That's what I've heard. Yeah. I've, I've heard different people respond different ways to when Guruji was practicing, like Tim. Miller would say he would push back against Guruji. Other people would just oh. surrender totally. Yeah, I was more the surrender type. Uh, he, I, I would have broken if I didn't surrender. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you, did, whatever he did to you, you just let him go for it? Well, no. Um, I mean, he could respond to a no. Yeah. Uh, okay. You know, just it, your no couldn't be a maybe no. you know they they teach you and and you know so they teach you in hypnotism about how people do certain things but mean something else you know their eyes are saying something else while their mouths are saying something else (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Gurji could tell if you were saying a real no or a a a not real no Um, at least that was my experience that might not have been everyone's experience Mm-hmm. And do you feel when when you're adjusting I've, that there's also this dynamic where you can be really you can really gently move someone's arms to try and get them to get into the posture themselves, or you can just effing jam it in there <laughs> and shove it in there. Do you have a, a preference? I'm not a shover myself. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think there's a value in that at times. I, it depends on the student. Mm-hmm. It depends on your relationship with the student. I, I can't see being a shover if I'm traveling around and I just met somebody. 
Right. Yeah. Or I'm spending a weekend with them. Um, I may try to direct them with certain cues. Like I'm a fan of suggestion. Mm-hmm. Um, I see the power of suggestion. And um, I like to hear what's going on with someone's body with my hands and by listening with my to their breath. Mm-hmm. So those are the key things for me. I actually will look away. Mm. I don't want to see. Um, I mean, sometimes I need to get a visual cue, yeah. but I don't want to be directed into anatomy. For me, it's more touch, rapport. Nancy Gilgoff told me to avoid eye contact so that you don't scare the students. <laughs> yeah, well, drishti is, you know, important, I think. And so mm-hmm. where is my drishti too? Um, mm-hmm. I get, I'm better in a trance state when I'm practicing the, in martial arts, they call it the, uh, um, what is it? Looking past the farmhouse, mm. something oh. like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's a change in the size. I can demonstrate to people that I'm with that there's a change in the size of your pupils if you hold a finger in front of someone's eyes mm-hmm. and ask them to focus on the tip of the finger and then focus beyond, right. the size of their pupils are going to change. Mm-hmm. And with that cue enabled someone like Milton Erickson to be able to hypnotize someone who didn't understand his language. Because mm-hmm. right. he would make his pupils large and small and keep their attention on his pupils. He got a rhythm going. Right. Rhythms are so important. So even in massage, I'd rather rock someone than really dig in deep. Mm. I'm there and I'm away. And I'm, you know, who doesn't like to be rocked? Yeah, mm. <laughs> so nice. <laughs> Mama rocked us. Yeah. There's, mm-hmm. there's hardly anything better. Yeah, there's something interesting about that. The tuning into that vibration and that that vibratory frequency of someone in order to shift energy or like whether it's physical or or more subtle than that. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. I want to ask you just to to get some context here if you're teaching. You're you're in Encinitas, you're a computer engineer, and you and your friends have gotten into this um this interesting community at what point did you say you know i need to kind of strip away some of the the trappings of of um straight life and become a yoga teacher well i i never really had a straight life Even as a computer engineer, I didn't have a straight life. And there was a lot going on in like general dynamics that there were a lot of people who weren't very straight working there. Right. You know, there were 200,000 people around the world working for general dynamics, making cruise missiles and fighters and uh, nuclear subs. Wow. uh, Those tanks that can go 50 miles an hour and fire at something sideways while they're moving. Yeah. <laughs> so there were a lot of us there and there were interesting people there who later got into more Silicon Valley stuff. Um, 
I was so pressured by that environment because I became a project manager of a um, hundred machines being retrofitted in San Diego at Lindbergh Field, which is no longer there. Um, that I was falling apart. I had three children. I was working really hard and I was losing it because I had been sick when I was younger. Mm. Um, I was running and rowing. Um, and then I, I met this yoga, you know, mm. <laughs> and all the people were into it were not doing what I was doing. Right. Mm -hmm. They were either single or hanging out and doing what they wanted. Yeah. Um, or, you know, some of them were dealing drugs because San Diego is close to Mexico. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, That's so a way to make good money. There was a lot of pot coming up. Yeah. 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 And um, yeah, you know, the original Ashtanga community was some pretty incredible folks, like rebellious. Um. Mm -hmm a lot different than the Iyengar people in, mm -hmm. in many respects. So anyway, yeah, I was feeling better. You know, I had a, someone who was working on me all the time, massage wise, who was quite an individual. Gary had introduced him to me and I still have a relationship with that person, Phil Petachenko down in Encinitas. Um, and I, you know, good things were happening. Life was changing. Uh, I didn't know it, but pretty soon I was going to be moving out to Hawaii. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, how long did you live in Hawaii for? Well, why'd you move there? Four or five years. Gary moved there. Um, the, um, my wife was wanting to move there. Encinitas was great. It was still a beautiful place. Um, I felt like I needed to be more out of the United States. Cause like I said, I wasn't very straight. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I, I had heard that a lot of the Encinitas crew had, had gone out and, and moved to Hawaii. Like that was a big draw. And a lot of people were making that shift. We were. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, where are you going to go from California? Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's right. It's the last stop. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, Encinitas was changing suddenly you know, it used to be like all these abandoned buildings by the, you know, like you could live right by the ocean. Encinitas was so sweet. I'd go to the health food store and there'd be like people doing magic tricks outside for your kids <laughs> yeah. in the parking lot. Uh, um, the community <laughs> market was the name of the health food store. And uh, yeah, there were beautiful communities all over the United States, though, too. I ran into those hitching, you know the food mm -hmm. conspiracy co-op in uh, Arizona and Tucson. Yeah. It was great stuff. And I would later live in some of those places like Taos, New Mexico. Oh. Yeah. With the, the Buffalo commune folks there. Yeah, we had I've done a lot of crazy things. Yeah. <laughs> but at, at a certain point you said, I'm going to stop doing the engineering and I'm going to do something else. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I went to Hawaii and delved into the yoga a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up still coming back and working again at GD because I had to. I had three children mm -hmm. and my marriage was um, coming apart. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I very much chime with what uh, Harmony's story about what happened in, in uh, Mysore. 
Um, except there was a lot smaller community and everybody was looking at me and like right. feeling sorry for me or something like that. Oh, <laughs> I was like, yeah. geez, right. that's, that's terrible. Everybody feels sorry for me. I'm some pitiful character, you know? Right. Yeah. It's better yeah. than, than um, everyone looking at you and, you know, loathing you for hurting somebody. Well, that too, you know, that kind of too. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, all of that. Yeah. yeah. It's you know hard how- in the close communities. Um, when you know there's breakups or things that go on you know different social dilemmas you know Mm -hmm. it's it's yeah it truly is it truly is and it can magnify consequences you know yeah um but you know we all we moved on everybody moved on and yeah here we are yeah and so it's one is of those that, old wounds. Yeah. <laughs> is that when you left Hawaii and you, did you start traveling around the United States then? Or? I left Hawaii and I went back to California to do some work. And what happened there? I ended up, I didn't do, I didn't have anything to do right away. Mm-hmm. So I ended up living with Tim for a while. Tim and I lived together. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, awesome. You know, because Tim we Miller. knew each other. We knew each other well. We had um my youngest child and tim's oldest child are the same age tim only has two children mm-hmm. um of course i have five yeah so you i'm not a whole nother family i'm sure barrel would be like appalled by <laughs> <laughs> i didn't mean it barrel <laughs> yeah <laughs> But I I like to tell people, I'm like, I have five children, you know, I don't, (laughs) it's the truth. So I tell them, um, and they range in age from their forties to five years old. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's true for my dad as well. Right. My dad has a 45 year old and he has, um, he has a nine year old. No, he has a 10 year old. He just turned 10. He's nine because he's younger than Jediah. So, so how was that, Russell? How was that, Russell? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's um, you know, it's 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 interesting because it, to me, I just kind of think of him as like um, as a nephew, but also mm-hmm. in my heart, like if something happens, like he's come, he's going to come live with me. He's mine, you know. Nice. And uh, he gets along great with Jed, and so it's <laughs> it would be an easy transition, you know. For Jed, he he doesn't actually like it. I think he makes him a little uncomfortable knowing that his uncle is younger than him. <laughs> so he tries to know he's not my uncle, dad. He's, he's my cousin. He's like, no, actually he's your uncle. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but so they get along great and it's, it's awesome. But it, um, I actually, I, I think, I think it's amazing because for my, for a lot of years, my dad was super lonely. Uh-huh he was a mechanic. Um, he's a little autistic. So he just works on the machine. And when he wants to talk with me, he sends me pictures of machines and he talks about them. Wow. Motorcycles or, or cars. Motor- machines. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's love, how that's love and communication from dad. See that? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And then he meets, you know, a, a nice Filipino girl online and he flies over to the Philippines and brings oh her God. back to, to the United States and marries her. 
Oh my god. They, they met on MySpace. Yeah. <laughs> and then so he's in Detroit and he and he now um we're kind of like a post Jewish no religion family because everybody didn't talk about it. It was you know everybody hid what their religion was. So nobody <laughs> knew what they were. And he ends up being a Catholic in Pontiac, Michigan. <laughs> and like I went to his church and I went there and it was like a sea of gray-haired men with black-haired Filipino ladies right next to them. Oh my God. And it's like, there's 50 guys in this church that never went to church before. They're all mechanics. And now this is, this is their community. This is, and so he's like, it's, his life is richer than it's ever been. And he's happier than he's ever been. That's great. And it's incredible. Like he's really a great dad. And every time he, he sees his son, he remembers me. <laughs> and it gives me a call, which he never did before. Yeah, you know, because he wouldn't think of me if he, if so he didn't have they anything. Put him back, yeah. I yeah, put him back to. It probably has him recalling your childhood. Yeah, exactly. And he gets to have my childhood because you know they. He was because he, he was in prison for a long time, <laughs> and then they were back together, and they broke up, and then he my mom moved around so much and he would forget like five years went by before he saw me. Wow. And he called me up when I was 17 and he said, look, um, I haven't talked to you in a while. Why don't you come apprentice with me as a mechanic? And so I went up and I apprenticed with him as a mechanic. It was a great job. I love that job. That's great. And you got to reconnect with your dad. Yeah. In the, in the way that he could understand. That's you know, kind of what happened with me. I, I was lucky enough to have that with, my father before he died really where he actually you know my dad he couldn't dial a phone <laughs> he didn't know the difference between the zero and the o on the old dial phones oh, wow. yeah. he couldn't write a check yeah um i'm not sure he could read wow and i was away i was and i hadn't seen him for a while and he was figuring out he was going to die mm -hmm. um at this point he might have had a few years to live and uh did he know he how me he a card i got a card and i don't even know how that card got to me because i was kind of hiding out mm -hmm. um and the card said inside of it you know um from your father who always really loved you and i <laughs> Obviously, someone had helped him write it. I, when I opened it, I just started crying. Mm. And um, I went back to see him. And uh, yeah, he was in bad shape. Mm. And he knew he was going to die at some point pretty soon because he had three different types of cancer. Okay. Wow. From his yeah. smoking and drinking and, and, you know, being up at three in the morning and eating hot pepper and hard Italian bread and sausage or something, you know, cause he was drunk. <laughs> yeah. And, Good uh, times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was kind of, you know, he tortured himself in ways just because mm -hmm. of who he was. Right. Um, but that, you know, that's great to hear that you reconnected with your dad and that, you know, that, I mean, that's, that's your step too. You wanted it so badly. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And I can identify with that. You know, I think these are the sorts of things in our lives that um, unfortunately give us depth. I say unfortunately, because, you know, you got to go and do this sort of stuff to get more depth. It doesn't (laughs) sound like a lot of fun sometimes having strained relationships and having to fix that and everything. But yeah, that's where the depth comes from, doesn't it? And it transcends to touch and awareness of other human beings and knowing that you can't really understand someone else's pain. Don't act like you can. Mm. Mm. That's beautiful. Well, it's, you know, it could be good for a yoga teacher. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a good thing to do yoga teacher trainings about, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think there's more and more of that coming up these days, the yoga so. and informed like trauma yoga teaching and things where you're right. Yeah. Super um, educational for teachers and people yeah it's it's really important and i i think that's such an important point too about even just like other people in general right that we don't we don't know what people have been through or gone through it to you don't know what formed that person yeah you know but let's think about it i mean that's what maybe that's one of the reasons it's such a good idea to have a long-term relationship with a teacher Mm. And you know, you don't have to like your teacher. (laughs) 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 I like my teacher. They're so great. Or, you know, they are the best one. So that's my teacher. Um, All of that, you know, is Mm -hmm. just performance kind of on the face. I didn't like Patabi Joyce all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're with someone for that long, you're with someone for like 30 40 years you're gonna like them all the time (laughs) you're not gonna know who they really are yeah yeah anytime you're in that kind of long prolonged friendship relationship or you know (laughs) mentorship whatever kind of relationship it is that expands over decades i mean you're definitely gonna hit some patches that are unfriendly (laughs) yeah yeah i want to ask you on the subject we have a we had a spiros and erica on the show who live in Mm -hmm. taos and you mentioned that you you live there and this sounds like a place that we should visit actually it's incredible and but one of the things that spiros had mentioned was that we're now living in a post-guru community especially us whose whose draw to ashtanga yoga was with Sri K. Patabi Joyce. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to know what that's that's like for you that that you didn't have the good luck to die before your teacher. <laughs> well, I think my teacher was probably supposed to die before me, just like you know, <laughs> parents are supposed to die before their children and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> um it is hard living in a post-guru world just because. Um, because of thinking about the past, perhaps. I don't know how to answer that question. That's a good question, Russell. 
because mm. um, it's 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 pretty deep and complex. I could spend an hour, I think, answering that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure your listeners could take it. <laughs> well, I for me, I really feel like a kind of fractured mission purpose. It's, it's a, well, I have friends, I think, in the community that it's fractured quite intensely. I, I feel like my very existence has been, you know, like I said, 19 years to be certified, mm-hmm. um, a, a lifetime devoted to this practice, and then to see or feel like it's all just nothing, because number one, I'm a man, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and number two... My teacher was just a molester. Yeah. So, you know, I have to live with the knowledge that he changed so many people's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, human beings are so complex. And I, I loved and forgave my parents. Mm-hmm. It was a big thing in my life and took a long time. Right. And, um, you know, when someone is abused, having been abused myself, I'm not saying I understand their pain because I know better than that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I I don't know what to do about it. (laughs) Mm. So what I do is when I visit communities of people, we talk about it in person. Yeah. Because oftentimes online forum is lacking. Yeah. If, a good yeah. part of communication is like body cues. Mm-hmm. This is something that Milton Erickson gave to the advertising world. Huh? I, I think it's something like um, 85% or 75% of communication is body language. Wow. Or in like what you're receiving with your eyes and talking to a person when they're so if we get on a phone or we get just say we're just audio right now, I can't see your eyes. Right. I can't see your facial expressions. Mm-hmm. And you know, people are like, oh, I can't have a long, I can't have a relationship over the phone. Yeah, of course you can't. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they invented Skype. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and let's make skype kinesthetic now we'll just get in a body glove and yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. right so it's and you know we do have these relationships with these machines now Mm -hmm. i want to give a shout out about a book that i really loved i think russell you might like this too and and i'm sure you're going to like this harmony Mm -hmm. It's called The World Beyond Your Head. Okay. The World Beyond Your Head. It's Matthew B. Crawford. Okay. And it's a on becoming an individual in an age of distraction. Oh. Right. That's perfect. And, we all uh, need that right now. Let's see. One of the, here's some paragraph. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, contents listings Mm -hmm. Uh, embodied perception autism as a desired principle gambling Hmm. Uh, attention and design 
It's just a great book. He is a professor and psychologist and motorcycle enthusiast mm -hmm. who also repairs old pipe organs in churches. Wow. <laughs> wow. And so it's all about extending with tools, you know, like hockey players in relationship with stick, motorcycle riders, relationship with motorcycles. Right. Mm -hmm. Counterintuitive actions on motorcycles. If you go to Taos, bring your motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, the, a motorcycle's amazing. I, it's this, um, I spent a lot of my childhood um, after dad got out and before they broke up, I, I was on his bike and we, we drove everywhere on, on the Harley. And there's a, there's a phrase, you know, you're either on a bike or you're in a cage. As they call them cagers, people mm -hmm. who drive around in cars. Yep. And it's incredible because unless you have like a real good bike, like a, like a Goldwing or a BMW or something, like you're, you don't have any entertainment like you do in a car where you can even have TV in the car now. And, and our son insists on having the TV on when he's in the car. <laughs> Um, but can you talk about what that means to, to drive from, from Humboldt County to New Orleans Whoa. on a bike? Well, Stephanie and I got on the, um, the ST1100, which is a little smaller than a Goldwing, but it's a Honda also. Mm -hmm. um, shaft drive, oil cooled. And we took off from San Francisco where we were living at the time. Um, we left a little late, got stuck in traffic in a rainstorm Ugh. and made it to San Jose drenched to stay at her sister's house the first night. And we're supposed to be going to New Orleans and make it before the last days of Mardi Gras. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, riding, a, driving a motorcycle, you know, she's on the back riding and at times she would fall asleep and I could feel her falling asleep. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. I'd have to like slap her leg to wake her up because <laughs> yeah, the slide I was off afraid. The bike. Yeah. yeah, I was afraid she'd let go or something crazy like that. I but did that me, all the time. I for fell me, on the, the bike constantly. For the driver, though, that's a pretty different experience. I mean, it, I'm I'm on the whole time. It's yeah. survival. Mm -hmm. And uh I'd be in the desert on a stand-up bike. It's an 1100. It's not a Harley. So it's not like you're not sitting down. You're sitting up. It's more like the BMW R1200 yeah. thing. Yeah. And uh, sport touring, they call them. Mm -hmm. You're in the desert and there's a wind that's originated like 100 miles away. Nothing blocking it. <laughs> yeah. And it, it hits you crossways on the... <laughs> kind of picks you up and your wheel is suddenly in a different spot on the road. How'd you get there? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to be listening to music. I love music, but not while I'm on a motorcycle, you, I want to be hearing that. I love the trance. Yeah. Um, because it becomes a trance state in a way. It's a trance, another trance state. Of course it is. It's yeah. a trance state to have a conversation with two of you instead of one of you, a different mm -hmm. trance state. Mm -hmm. It's another one to have a conversation with myself. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's it's I think boredom is one of the most um, underappreciated sensations. <laughs> I think it's inc- it's absolutely the the fodder for enlight- enlightenment. It's the fertile ground for enlightenment. That if you can if you can just sit with boredom, your whole universe transforms in, into pure ecstasy. Yeah, I just I'm I'm not bored. Right, <laughs> right. There's nothing to be bored if we. It's, like, it's like waves it's like of failure pleasure. being that negative word. Well, are you trying? You're going to fail if you're trying, right? I mean, we've right. heard a lot of that recently from different people, like uh, Tony Robbins or whatever. That sort yeah, of yeah. thing, you know. I'm um, always trying not to say trying now. It's <laughs> of course trying denotes failure, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I watch where I say, but, oh. yeah, because, and mm-hmm. is a lot different than, but, yeah. yeah, but negates everything you just said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and can like, you know, bring, bring opposites together, which I like. Mm-hmm. It can. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But I slip and say, but sometimes, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I I catch myself saying it though. And I I can't help but hear it in interviews, you know, um, or podcasts or stuff like that, you know, where someone is, um, I'm really attuned to propaganda and the use of words. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've seen things over and over again. Yeah. Make me look deeper. Yeah, I like that. I I think that's really important, right? To keep going over the same the same ground again and again. We learn that even in our yoga practice, you know, to keep going through the same asanas, the same sequence, the same yes. practice in order yes. to experience that thing again. Are you bored with your practice? <laughs> 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 I, Should we answer truth to that? <laughs> <laughs> when you know when injury comes, the boredom goes away. That's right. True. That's right. It's that's really like I wouldn't say I that was get bored. Your attention. I'm not as bored with my practice as much as I'm just so infuriated with the number of things that I can't do anymore. Oh wow! Yeah. Is that happening for you? Yeah. Well, that's happening for me. I mean, I'm 60 eight this year so wow i can identify with that greatly yeah how has that been for you dom how is how is the it's been you hard that? you know i'm such a vain person it's like you know, <laughs> 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 i think it's tough growing old what my mom used to say the betty davis thing all the time oh yeah yeah a grown olds for sissies or something like that i guess that's that's yeah. probably totally in in um, politically inappropriate in today's <laughs> yeah. world, but yeah. I guess what she meant was, you know, you you better be up for it, yeah. Because the uh, I've had changes come, but I've had a lot of problems when I was young, and through the middle of my life, I found this yoga to be such a great blessing because I had a lot of problems when I was young. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd go to the hospital, I'd be at doctors or get allergy treatments they were poking me with needles all the time and 
Mm -hmm. Um, Hmm. learning pranayama was a big thing for me it really changed my life greatly and so yeah but growing older is growing older and then things are happening Mm -hmm. you can't deny your eyes and your ears (laughs) yeah 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 i know it's happening to your eyes and your ears (laughs) do you is it mostly do you feel mostly like physical limitations or yeah you know i have an 11 year old i want to pick him up and throw him around and stuff (laughs) (laughs) i thought i was going to be his trainer yeah you know and he's so much faster than me Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) my 11 year old or 10 year old's faster than me yeah right i mean (laughs) so um i mean it took a while with matt because I was younger for him to reach that stage where he could do more than his dad. And that's, that's right. a distinctive place for a father to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Suddenly your son is, you know, it's like a passing. It's, it's almost like, uh, well, that's a bigger thing, but um, the death of both parents and you becoming an orphan again, you know, mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. becoming an orphan the first time. Mm-hmm. Um Wow. It's, it's one thing looking at death, but when your parents die, whoa, yeah, that's personal. Mm-hmm. And you get quite the view. Yeah, it's a changing point. Yeah, you feel alone. In a way, yeah, you can't have those conversations. So yeah, um, right on, have them now. Yeah, these yeah. are the good old days. Yeah, <laughs> we're living. Make sure life. you tell people how much you love them. Mm-hmm. I love that. Do it a lot. Mm-hmm. Wow, Dom. I that's a. I I want. I just want to thank you for coming on the show. That certainly sounds like a a, a great place to to stop. Is is just encouraging everyone to tell their parents that they love them, and I I that's a and to do it a lot and to do it a lot and I'm, I'm really grateful that you came on and um i'm really um i didn't know this before we we called you up but i'm really surprised how many how many things we have in common and i'm i'm i also just want to thank you for uh being a, a lodestar or a, an inspiration to all of us junior students and uh, thank you for being out there in the world. Well, you guys are not junior students. You're, you're the folks now. <laughs> We're, We're like the old folks. Mid- middle-aged yeah. students. You're not the old folks now. No, you're in your prime. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, thanks a lot for um, having me here and giving me the chance to review um things about my life because i don't do that all the time i'm really occupied with bringing up some young children Mm -hmm. yeah and uh for giving me the opportunity to listen to all those other folks that you had interviews with that um i don't always get to talk to i i personally cannot wait to get back into a mysore room it's it's a big void in my life right now. It's the thing that work wise that I I enjoy more than anything. I hear uh, you. 
so are you planning on traveling anywhere i'm not planning on anything right now i'm just trying to see what happens you know people are some people that are above 75 are getting vaccines and right things like that so um i'm just i'm kind of sometimes i feel like i'm hiding from the inevitable here (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> maybe maybe you feel the same way I don't do you know. mean death dom because that's <laughs> i do i do feel like i'm hiding from the inevitable death that's coming every every minute <laughs> but i i'm in one of your podcasts russell you were talking about doing yoga to miles davis oh yeah i um so that that firewall of boredom that we talked about. Yeah. Yeah, I I let that go. And so now I've got the Miles Davis on all the time when I'm doing Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I just like I just got all these pictures of Guruji around me and Sharat around me in the yoga room and like I'm just grooving out, you know, <laughs> to, nice. to bitches brew. And like, yeah, you know, I'm having a good time here. Yeah. Anyways, uh I saw one of your paintings, the uh, the um, Shavasana paintings. Really, you saw Various. that? And I, I remember, I remember seeing people like you know laying down on someone had painted pictures of people laying down on the ground. I thought, wow, that's really great because I've already always been a, so affected by, you know, I taught so many classes where I'd yeah. walk around and actually touch people's shoulders at the end. Yeah, especially in gyms where I was teaching, I was one of the first teachers in a gym. And uh, it's just great. Shavasana is for anybody who knows about trance states to see a face like that, like a child's face. Yeah. So relaxed without the kind of muscular tension that we carry in conversation. It's part of our personalities. It's there's something angelic about those faces and bodies in. uh, So what an apt, uh, subject for painting i remember you had a whole series of shavasana i did i I must have done 40 or 50 of them (laughs) yeah i've got them i've got them in the closet back here but i did i just painted my students i would be there in class and i'd see somebody's like oh that's a good one they'd have some kind of you know like their shorts would be would be reflective or something it's like oh yeah nice. (laughs) and then i'd take a photo and Uh, i'd go home after class and i'd paint it Talk about abuse issues. I mean, that was a real, <laughs> you know, no, no, listen, I go around and touch people's shoulders at the end, you know, and mm-hmm. I didn't know these people. A lot of times people were coming in from God knows where early on when I taught some yoga teachers came from different parts of the country to see what I was doing. Yeah. Cause sure. I was teaching to music and the music I was teaching to was more like Kruder and Dorfmeister than, you know, <laughs> I wasn't pulling out people going, oh, I was like a horse whinnying with the bass and something behind it. Right. And uh, so people wanted to hear the music. They want to know what I was doing. And I was John Cage performance. Yeah, I was one of the few people teaching yoga to music. And I the only reason I did it was they were so used to it in aerobics classes. Figured I'd give them the bridge over. Yeah. And send them over to the Ashtanga Yoga Center after they. That's so radical. When when you was that? Uh, 1990, 89. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, there would still be aerobics is still so fresh. It was a lot of fun for me. I'd go and research the music and, um, you know, um, 
Ninja Tunes was putting out compilations. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it was older jazz stuff that was being kind of morphed into hip hop. But anyway, you know, I'd go around and I'd touch these people after class. Mm-hmm. And some of them, you'd touch them and they just, you could tell they would just melt because yeah. they'd been doing a lot of vinyasas. It's just, you know, pretty much. And then some people just want to be touched. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So therapeutic. Other people would practically jump off the floor. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah, you yeah, could yeah. tell if somebody had had problems or not mm-hmm. with, you know, yeah. and I wasn't trying to judge what who people oh. were, but it allowed me to understand more who wanted to be touched and who didn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? That's right. Can, can I can I piggyback on that? Yeah. I, I had a student at Stanford. I, I she was my student for three years. Her name escapes me off the top of my head. Um but I adjusted her a couple times and then I think she may have even mentioned something like maybe don't, don't touch. And um, then I, I think even touched her again one more time, like just moved a foot and she's like, and I started to get this, this intuition without having talked to her that something really bad recently had happened to her. Oh, wow. And she was going through some stuff. And yet she was the most physically talented student in the class. Oh yeah. And I was like, this is interesting. What do I do with this? And I realized that if I could um, articulate myself, I could talk her into any pose, any pose. Yeah. And so I taught her, I think I got her halfway through second series without ever touching her. Primary all the the way up. (laughs) It was incredible. I I was like, I couldn't believe it. I would give her an instruction and she would figure it out. Like I kept trying to get her like, not grab your own ankle, (laughs) grab it. It was like, she was just like, not, we couldn't quite get there, you know? But it was like, it was really, it was interesting to have to do that. To have like, to like really an, respect. She that. may have been an auditory adept. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some people, yeah. you know, so the funny thing about teaching for me in, in those uh, health club, the health club I taught in was called mm-hmm. Frogs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. There were three Navy SEALs who started it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're frogs. Yeah. Well, one of them. Frogmen. The, the financial guy was named Roger and he had a picture of him getting Scott Carpenter out of a space capsule on the ocean. Wow. When he came back in one of the early, whatever missions. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so uh, it, it had, a, it was a converted, the gym itself was a converted audio visual stage. So I'd have to stand up on a stage. All right. And I, yeah, I got kind of lonely up there. I didn't want to be the only person up there. So I draw a couple of students like, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a tall Olympic guy who could do backbends, who was a rower and a, a software programmer mm-hmm. who was like, you know, he looked like one of the Aryan youth, like <laughs> <laughs> he was six, yeah. two, six, three, but a really yeah. sweet guy. And then, you know, somebody else, like a lady that, you know, um, maybe a lot smaller or something like that, you know, so yeah. that people would get an idea of like, Oh, different types. Yeah. You know? yeah. So they wouldn't just feel like, Oh, only a certain kind of person can jump through or right. do a back bend or something. Right. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun for me. 
Um, but I would have to play music. I was cueing music and I used a mini disc player that oh, my yeah. girlfriend at the time had brought back from Japan. They weren't even available in the United States. Yeah. And uh, it was great. And, uh, and, you know, jumping off the stage after hmm, about eight years of doing that, <laughs> I developed this thing in my Achilles tendon because, you know, it was like a, I'd always jump with the same foot. I didn't realize that I was becoming very automatic. You know? Wow. I might demo a little on stage if I needed to. Yeah. And, yeah. But uh, mostly I was just going around making sure people weren't looking in the mirrors because there were mirrors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like sheets over mirrors. Yeah. Like, and I was like, don't look yeah. at me. You know, I'm not yeah. doing anything here. <laughs> yeah. Put your eyes in one spot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> but it was fun. I had a lot of fun with that group of people, bringing them into a yoga you know, Ashtanga yoga background from Mm -hmm. they were regular folks. They weren't anybody who was looking for God or whatever, you know, (laughs) they would drift into a normal yoga studio at that time. They were contractors and real estate people and Mm -hmm. um, some talented individuals. This lady came in who was a Bob Fosse dancer. Oh wow. Oh yeah, wow. Yeah, and a martial artist. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. you know, she was an adept to say the least. Sure. But she had never tried to get into her hips like Ashtanga gets you into your hips, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, but so we, you know, we'd have these discussions afterwards because she was a teacher also. She taught at the same place. She was teaching a martial arts class. And uh, you know, interesting individuals bobbing yeah. through the door. It's it is amazing though, like when you you're in a class and they're really let's say you're just teaching at a university or a gym and you're teaching a bunch of new people who who are kind of kind of new to it, but you're working with them. And then just in the normal population, gen pop is what I mean, you know, general, general population. And um, suddenly you see somebody and you realize they can do everything. All right. <laughs> it's such a weird one of those thing. one percenters. Yeah, it's a one percenter walks into your room and you just know looking at them as they walk and they put their mat down. It's like, oh, here we go. I could do anything to this person and they would be I could teach anything. They could they could do it. And it's just incredible that that happens to the human species, that there's this one percent walking around who can do everything. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But some of them are, you know, I had gals walk in who were from Cirque du Soleil. Yeah. Yeah, wow. And, uh, you know, Trained they're going to do the first series and come into handstand in between every Navasana, the first yeah, class. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> yeah, but, they're, but Cirque du Soleil people, like, they're, they're, pe- they're the 1%. You don't get they into didn't that. They want to do Ashtanga. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to do relaxation yoga. Yeah, they were training all day. Sure, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Someone had told them, Ashtanga. you need to relax more. Yeah, what are you guys you doing to... in here? Yeah. I think I'm just going to work out um, as long as I'm here. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Dom. And, and I hope to come and practice with you one of these days when you're maybe down in Palm Desert or, or traveling around doing something. Oh, what a great community. Isn't that a great yeah. community? Of I love it. I love them. What's her name? Oh my Eileen. God. Eileen. Oh, Eileen is, she is so great. And yeah. the, the community is so real. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> not yeah. that other communities are not real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have a special fondness in my heart for that community. That's a yeah. good group. It's a it's a unique place and a small group of practitioners that are all really grassroots feeling to them, you know, they're really authentic and and just like practicing because it makes them feel better. That's right. Love you, man. Talk to you Love soon. Love you too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the breaking